Hi, welcome to K. Ray Reads to You. I'm K. Ray, and I'm reading to you. And today we have Chapter 2 of The Four-Story Mistake by Elizabeth Enright. Chapter 2 is called A View Apiece. Rush woke up early the next morning. The Blue Jays woke him up. He, who could sleep through the metallic thundering of ash cans and the honking of taxis, was startled out of sleep by the jeering mew of the blue jays in the Norway spruce outside his window. The room was strange in the daylight. There was a carved marble mantel over the fireplace, with a cherub's head in the middle that looked like Henry VIII as a baby. But on top of the mantel were some of his books, his clock, the socks he had taken off last night, and the World's Fair Savings Bank with nothing in it but two aspirins, which he had dropped in there once when he was sick and was supposed to take them, and didn't and there was the little brown photograph of his mother. The sight of these possessions made him feel at home, and so did Isaac at the foot of the bed. Rush got up, and Isaac hopped down, and they both went over to the window to look out. At first they couldn't see anything but the tangled needles of the Norway spruce beside the window. The rain had stopped hours ago, but now a heavy mist rose up from the earth and obscured the valley. After a while, as Rush watched, a tree swam into view, looking pale and ghostly, then another, and another. The mist was lifting, and it was going to be a good day. The air was full of a sound of dripping, and the cries of jays, and another sound, a rushing, pouring one. "'Gosh, I believe it's a brook!' exclaimed Rush. "'Why didn't Father say there was a brook? Come on, Isaac, let's go see!' With more stealth than necessary, Rush peered out into the empty hall, closed the door noiselessly behind him, and tiptoed down the stairs. A warm, hopeful smell of coffee seeped out of the kitchen. That meant that Cuffy was up already. "'Pretend it's the headquarters of a German general,' Rush whispered to Isaac. "'His orderly is making coffee. We've been concealed in the rafters all night, intercepting code messages. To be discovered means certain death.' Crouched like an Indian, silent as a panther, Rush reached the big front door and opened it. He and Isaac stepped out, free men. The air was moist and mild. Veils and plumes of mist drifted by like the finest smoke. Wet drops fell on Rush's head, and cold, wet leaves clung to the soles of his bare feet. He couldn't stop smelling the air in great, deep, loud sniffs. It was so delicious. It smelled of water and mud and maple trees, and autumn. Isaac found smells to his own taste, too, a fragrance of squirrels, and field mice, and moles, with a faint, intoxicating hint of skunk. He trotted to and fro, zigzagging from side to side, doubling back, snuffing and pausing with his tail quivering, and twigs caught in his ear fringes. Rush walked in the direction of the roaring sound, but from time to time he found it necessary to stop and examine some new object of interest. There was a summer house, for one thing, with cast-iron trellis walls and a half-rotted floor full of leaves. And there was a sycamore tree with a cave in its trunk, more than big enough for Rush and Isaac. A good place to come and think in. There were also two iron deer who looked as though they had been frozen in a mood of disapproval. The roaring grew louder and louder, and then between lifting mist veils, Rush saw the brook. At one point it was a broad brown stream gliding smoothly in its course, and at the next it had turned into a little torrent, 
brawling and hustling down between the rocks in a cascade, and breaking below into snowy eddies and cuffs of foam. Rush stood at the edge of the little cataract and watched it. A very valuable thing to have right in your own backyard. He felt extremely proud of it. Then he walked to the point above it where the water was held in a clear, brimming brown pool. At the bottom he could see the turning sand like brown sugar, lacy filaments of leaves, twigs with rotted bark, and stones with moss on them. He dipped his right big toe into the pool, and the cold spread upward through his leg in a little electric shock. After a moment of consideration he pulled off his pajamas and plunged in. Cold! It was cold enough to make his teeth rattle in their sockets and his hair stand on end, and it wasn't more than three feet deep at its deepest point, but at that moment Rush wouldn't have traded it for the pearl-lined pool of a Maharaja. "'Come on, sissy,' he said to Isaac, and Isaac, with a look of loathing, but obedient to the last, flung himself into the water. When Rush came out he was red as a boiled lobster, and he felt like Superman.' He thumped himself on the chest and uttered several ear-splitting sounds, which he fondly imagined to be good imitations of Tarzan's jungle cry. There was nothing to dry himself with except the top of his pajamas, so he used that, first on himself and then on Isaac. Then, clad only in the pajama trousers and holding the jacket over his head like a drenched banner, he marched back toward the house. But he felt so fine with the wind tickling his bare ribs that when he came to the house he walked right past it toward the stable. He might as well see everything, he thought. "'Hi there, Robinson Crusoe. Where's your clothes?' said a voice. And Rush saw Willie Sloper sitting on an overturned bucket under a tree. There was a little fire in front of him, and he was cooking something over it. Something that smelled equally delicious to both Rush and Isaac, with their differently attuned noses.' "'Hi, Willie. What's cooking?' "'My breakfast,' Willie said. "'Coffee. Hot black coffee, strong enough to lift a safe. "'And bacon. Crisp, juicy bacon. "'And eggs, still warm from the grocery store. "'I done the marketing early. "'I rode to the village with the milkman, "'and I rode back with the garbage collector. "'Awful nice fellas, both of them. "'Want some breakfast?' Rush refused politely, although he could feel the hunger in his stomach uncoiling like a cobra. "'Why don't you go up to the kitchen, Willie? Cuffy will give you breakfast.' "'I know, I know. But it's just that I like eating outdoors this way. It reminds me of Van Cortland Park.' "'It's the gypsy in you,' Rush said. "'The hobo, more likely,' Willie told him. "'I always had a kind of good-for-nothing streak in me, like a stray dog. I always kind of thought I'd like to hit the road.' walk and ride the rails and be a bum, carry my coffee pot on a string around my neck, and not have nothing on my back in the way of responsibilities except a change of clothes, an extra pair of shoes, and this here old frying pan. "'Why didn't you ever?' asked Rush, who thought the idea sounded pretty good himself. "'Well, I tell you, it's from my father's side of the family I get this idea about hitting the road.' but from my mother's side of the family I get a mean conscience that's always kept me earning my living whether I wanted to or not. Willie sighed and removed the bacon from the frying pan to a thick chipped plate. Ain't you cold? Where you been? Swimming, said Rush dreamily, watching Willie break four eggs into the frying pan and set them over the fire. 
"'Swimming? "'That you I heard a while back making them noises?' "'Yes, I was being Tarzan,' Rush explained. "'Tarzan? "'Sounded more to me like a rooster with the croup.' "'Rush didn't reply. "'He was staring fascinated at the eggs. "'He watched the transparent whites become opaque, "'changing from liquid to solid. "'He watched their four golden eyes "'looking up at him enticingly. "'He swallowed, unable to stir, "'or to remove his gaze from those hypnotic eggs. "'Want some?' said Willie. "'Oh, no thanks, Willie,' said Rush faintly. "'My own breakfast will be ready in a few minutes.' "'Ah, come on,' said Willie, and gave him an enormous plateful. "'Want some coffee?' "'Well, uh, I never had any. I mean, black like that.' "'Oh, it won't hurt you. I drank black coffee when I was eight years old. Time I was your age, I chewed tobacco. Never hurt me none.' Rush took the hot tin cup in his hands. The first swallow was so hot he could feel wrinkles on his tongue after he had taken it. "'and the black, bitter taste of it didn't please him much, "'but he couldn't be less of a man at thirteen "'than Willie had been at eight, "'so he drank two cups, smacking his lips. "'Next time I'll teach you to chew,' Willie called, "'as Rush reeled dizzily back to the house. "'Rush, Melandy,' said Cuffy, "'why are you only wearing your pajama pants? "'Don't you know this is the middle of October?' "'I've been swimming,' Rush explained.' "'Swimming?' said Cuffy, outraged. And, "'Swimming?' said Randy, incredulously, as she came into the kitchen. "'Swimming in what?' "'There's a brook,' Rush said. "'I discovered it. We've got a brook on our property.' Randy started for the door, but Cuffy caught her by her overall straps. "'No, you don't, my duck. Not till you've eaten every bit of breakfast. Here, Rush, here's your sweater. Put it on and eat your breakfast while it's hot. You can dress later.' There was no help for it. Rush had to sit down and eat breakfast all over again, every mouthful. Oatmeal and eggs and bacon and toast and milk. Cuffy watched him like an eagle at meals nowadays, because she thought he was too thin. Rush chewed until his jaws ached and his eyes watered. He might as well have been eating sawdust. But at last it was over, and he started up the stairs, moving slowly and heavily, "'weighted down with breakfast. "'He met Mona on the stairs. "'For goodness sake, Rush,' she said, "'why do you look so funny?' "'Born that way,' Rush replied gloomily. "'No, I mean, why are you holding your stomach? "'Have you got a pain?' "'Rush paused wearily, like an actor playing Hamlet. "'Mona,' he said, "'it might interest you to know "'that I am carrying a heavy burden.' For breakfast today I was forced by circumstance to consume four eggs, two fried, two boiled. Also, nine pieces of bacon. Nine. Also, one bowl of oatmeal, man-size. Also, one piece of toast as big as a barn door with marmalade on it. Also, one glass of milk and two large black, whoops, and two large cups of black coffee. Now, do you understand? "'What is it? A contest or something? Coffee? You mean Cuffy let you?' "'Shh! No, silly. Today I attended two breakfasts. At Willie's, coffee was served. Then, in order to avoid complications, I ate a second one at Cuffy's request.' 
"'How revolting!' said Mona, continuing downstairs. It had been her favourite word for some time now. After everyone had had breakfast, and every dish was washed, and every bed made, Father took them up to the third floor to see the new office. "'I'm going to let you do the organising and arranging yourselves,' he told them. "'I had the carpenter put up some shelves, and the moving men dumped the furniture anywhere. It's up to you now.' The room was really an attic, large, oblong, with deep dormer windows on three sides, and a drum-shaped coal stove attached to the brick chimney-mass by a round black pipe. The old carpet lay in a long roll, and in the middle of the bare floor the familiar office furniture was lumped together in a huddle. The sofa with busted springs, the battered rocking-horse, the blackboard, the ancient chairs, the boxes of books. In the midst of the confusion stood Russia's piano, tall and dignified, like Florence Nightingale among the wounded. "'Why, look at the walls!' cried Oliver. "'There's pictures and writing all over them.' It was true. From the ceiling to the floor, the sloping walls were covered with pages of pictures and stories cut out of old papers and magazines. They were yellowish-brown with age, and here and there were dark stains where the rain had leaked in, but on the whole they were remarkably well-preserved, for at the tops of some of the pages there were dates. "'April 17, 1881,' said one of them. "'September 19, 1879,' said another." "'Look, here's a whole story pasted up. "'Illustrations and everything. "'Pretty nifty, too,' said Rush. "'It's called Pursued by Siberian Wolves. "'Oh, boy, look at that. "'A whole sleigh full of men, "'all wearing mustaches and fur hats, "'and the wolves right behind with their tongues hanging out. "'Here's another,' said Mona. "'Only it's called Dimple Sunshine and the Bad Buttercup. "'You should see the picture of Dimple Sunshine. "'She looks about four years old.' "'but I think she's wearing a corset. "'High-button shoes, too. "'How revolting. Imagine!' "'There's a very interesting one down here,' piped Oliver, "'who was just learning to read. "'It has good pictures, and it's called "'Tribble Customs in the Sudden. "'What does that mean?' "'Tribble Customs in the... "'Here, let me see.' "'Rush bent down beside Oliver. "'Oh, I get it. "'Tribal Customs... "'in the Sudan. "'Well, when I was hunting for a house in the country, "'I knew I'd have to find one that had an office "'as good as the one at home,' father was saying. "'When I saw this, I was satisfied.' "'It's swell,' agreed Rush and Mona in a single voice. "'As for Oliver, he had practically forgotten the other house already. "'But Randy was silent, torn between enthusiasm for this new office "'and homesick loyalty for the old one. "'Look, Randy,' father said, "'see those little stairs? "'They go up to the cupola. "'Let's explore it, shall we?' "'Rush had climbed over the furniture "'and reached his beloved piano. "'Now he had the lid up, "'and standing before it, "'he plunged into the Brahms rhapsody "'he had been learning. "'He played it much too loud "'and much too fast on purpose, "'because he was happy. "'It sounded like a team of runaway fire-horses.' Mona and Oliver were sitting side by side on the floor, studying the Tribble Customs, so Randy was the first of the children to see the cupola. She followed her father up the steep, narrow steps. Almost as good as a ladder, she thought to herself. At the top, father opened the door, and there they were, standing in a tiny room that seemed to be nothing but windows. 
"'The tower of the enchanted princess,' Randy thought. "'All around is nothing but sea. "'Once a day a slave in a rowboat comes bringing a basket of food. "'The princess pulls it up on a long silken cord. "'She also catches fish from the window. "'She—' "'But father was speaking. "'Poor Mr. Cassidy,' he was saying. "'This cupola is another part of the mistake. "'You see, a cupola is supposed to be built in a place which commands a splendid view.' something impressive, like a city in the distance, or an ocean, or a chain of mountains. Look, toward the east all you can see is the brook, and the woods on the hill. Toward the west all you can see is the road winding back over another hill, through more woods. Toward the south all you can see is spruce branches, and the weather vane on the stable roof. But toward the north, yes, there is a view, the only long one. Yes, there was. Randy looked out the north window, and far, far away up the valley, which was shallow and wide, dotted with trees and crossed with stone fences, and seamed with the brown brook that was partly theirs. At the very end of the valley she thought she saw a village, rooftops and white walls, and smoke coming up blue into the autumn air. "'That's Carthage, three miles away,' father told her. "'There's a window for each child,' "'Randy remarked. "'So there is,' said Father. "'And after a minute he said, "'And now that I think about it, Randy, "'I believe that each of these windows "'belongs to one of you in, per in a particular way. "'This one, the north one, for instance, "'that looks so far up the valley. "'It must belong to Oliver, "'because he's always looking ahead, "'always straining toward tomorrow. "'The east one is Russia's. "'The view from it is all moving and changeable.' The wind stirs the trees, the water dashes and foams in the brook. And the south one, see how the dark spruce branches beyond the glass make a sort of mirror of the window. That's Mona's. She's at the age where she loves her own reflection. And the west window, Randy said. The west window belongs to you, Randy. From it you can look back all day, oops, from it you can look back all day along the road you traveled yesterday. Randy thought she understood what father meant. "'Well, I like today, too,' she said. "'I like now. And this house. I think it's a wonderful house. Only I loved the other one, too.' "'We all did,' agreed father. "'But sometimes it would be nice if you and Oliver changed windows. In fact, it would be a good thing if all of you exchanged views once in a while.' He gave Randy's untidy mop of curls an affectionate tug. "'Well, that's over.' "'How do you like this tower, anyway? "'I thought you kids might enjoy it, "'as a sort of retreat, you know.' "'You mean it's ours?' said Randy. "'Just for us children? "'Like part of the office, you mean?' "'That's it,' said Father. "'Oh, Father, it is swell!' cried Randy, "'giving him a hug that knocked the breath out of him. "'It is swell, and I love it, "'and I'll spend a half an hour "'looking out of Oliver's window "'every time I come up here, "'just so I'll deserve it.' That's the end of Chapter 2 of The Four-Story Mistake by Elizabeth Enright. You can visit me at my blog if you want to, www.kray.org, and I'll see you next time for another chapter. Bye.